Are you ready to take full control of your physical, emotional, and spiritual health? Are you ready to experience great success in your life? Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. will teach you the tools and strategies to help you take control of your health and inspire you to live your best life. Now here is your host, Dr. Diane A. Thompson, M.D. Welcome to Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. This is the show that is designed to inform and inspire you to a healthier lifestyle. I am your host, Diane A. Thompson, MD, and as always, it is my pleasure spending time with you on this broadcast with a goal that perhaps you may learn something new that could take your health and your life to a higher level. As always, I will remind you that the information heard on this broadcast is for educational purposes only. It is not intended for diagnosis or treatment, so please Seek the advice of your healthcare provider before making any changes to your health. All right, so I'd like to thank you for joining me again this week. Today, we will be talking about multiple sclerosis, and we'll be looking at one woman's unique way of fighting the disease and getting herself back to good health. This will be a two-part interview, so you will hear the first part this week, and next week you will follow us for the second part, so make sure you join us for both. So a little bit about multiple sclerosis, or MS as we often call it. This is a disease in which the body attacks itself and forms plaques along the covering of the nerves in the brain and the spinal cord. We need an intact covering in order for good nerve conduction. So when we have these plaques, we have impaired conduction, and the patient may have neurological symptoms. Patients may present with a variety of symptoms, such as fatigue and weakness urinary symptoms, changes in sensation, visual changes, problems with memory and thinking, just to name a few. And some patients may end up in a wheelchair or may become totally dependent on others for care. There are various types of MS, and although we don't know the exact cause, we've often heard theories such as genetics or environmental or viruses. And most people are treated with medications, and this may improve some of their symptoms. Some patients don't do as well with some of these medications. Well, on today's show, we will highlight the story of one woman who happens to be a physician who was diagnosed with MS, and she used a different approach to manage her disease. So we're actually going to take a short break, and when we come back, we will be talking with Dr. Terry Walls, the author of The Walls Protocol, and we're going to hear her inspiring story. So we'll take a short break, and we will be right back. Dr. Diane A. Thompson is an author, a dynamic speaker, and a workshop leader. If you would like to hire her to speak at your event, please visit www.drdianethompson.com. Also, sign up for updates and for her free ebook on stress at www.drdianethompson.com. That's www.drdianethompson.com. All right, welcome back. My guest today is Dr. Terry Walsh. And Dr. Walsh is a physician and clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa. She's also a patient with secondary progressive multiple sclerosis, which confined her to a tilt-recline wheelchair for four years. She then changed her diet using the WALS protocol and the WALS paleo diet, 
which she says restored her health, and now she pedals her bike five miles per day to work. I mean, this is such an amazing story. Many of you may have seen her story on the TED Talk, which I think up to date has over more than 1.6 million views. And so, Dr. Walls, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, you know, I mentioned that you are a physician. Can you tell us a little bit more about your professional background? Sure. So I am an internal medicine uh, physician here at the University of Iowa. Uh, I uh, teach residents in primary care clinics, in a traumatic brain injury clinic, and a therapeutic lifestyle clinic. I also do clinical research, uh, and I have been researching diagnostic error, but after my transformation, uh, I have changed my clinical focus, and now I'm touching the impact of a paleo diet to treat progressive MS. We're writing grants now to use this for fibromyalgia, and I'm talking to other researchers about uh, using my protocol in other disease states like uh, Parkinson's and uh, obesity. Now, you were diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and many of us know that people who have had this diagnosis, they go through symptoms. They, it, it takes a while for someone to actually diagnose them with it. So I wonder if you can share with us the timeline. When did you start having symptoms, and what did you present with? So I was diagnosed in 2000. At that time, uh, I had presented with weakness in my left leg and stumbling. Thirteen years earlier, I'd had an episode of visual dimming, uh, which had been worked up and no clear explanation. And for the prior 17 years, I'd had episodes of electrical-like pain uh, involving my face, which, again, no one had uh, sorted out the reasons for that. Um, when I had my evaluation, I had an MRI of my spinal cord and brain, which showed lesions at the level of my spinal cord, uh, at the level of my neck. My spinal tap showed uh, a number of oligobands, or abnormal proteins. Uh, the blood work was all negative. Uh, and so my physicians diagnosed multiple sclerosis on the basis of lesions separated by time, uh, 13 and 17 years, and space, the uh, visual problems and the problems in the leg. I went and got a second opinion from one of the internationally recognized best MS centers in the world, the Cleveland Clinic, and they looked everything over and said, yes, you have uh, relapsing remitting MS. And I started Copaxone, and I uh, uh, stayed with them. Uh, three years later, uh, they told me my disease had transitioned to the secondary progressive phase, and that's where there's no more improvement anymore. You can only expect uh, decline. And the goal is to try and arrest the decline if you can. Uh, they made it very clear that functions once lost uh, would be gone forever. So at that time, I went on mitoxantrone, and then I went on Tizabri, uh, which, by the way, cost $40,000 a year, and then switched from Tizabri to Celsept. Uh, and when I hit the uh, tilt recline wheelchair, it was very clear to me that conventional medicine, you know, taking the best uh, latest drugs from the very best people in the country was not stopping the trajectory of, become, of uh, becoming progressively more and more disabled and likely facing uh, a bedridden life. Uh, and that's w what I decided uh, to begin uh, reading the mouse studies myself. Uh, and I began my first rounds of self-experimentation uh, probably about 2004. Now, in terms of your function, and you mentioned that, you were in a wheelchair for several years. Correct. And yep. you did not expect to really improve these functions that you had already lost. A absolutely not. You know, my experience had been uh, for seven years a steady 
uh, decline despite therapy. Um, it, you know, based on my reading uh, from the mouse studies, I had, uh, identified some vitamins and supplements which I took. Uh, you know, and then after six months, or yeah, so three or four months, I got disgusted. I thought I was wasting my money, and I stopped. And then I was even more exhausted; couldn't get out of bed. A couple of days later, uh, my spouse came in, uh, brought uh, the vitamins, and said, "You know, honey, I think I'll take these again." I, I took them. And the next day, I felt better, went back to work, and thought, "Wow, that was really interesting." So two weeks later, I tried the same thing. And again, I was uh, even more exhausted without my vitamins, couldn't get to work. Uh, and so now I was very exhilarated. Like, my, based on my reading, I was finding things out that were helpful to me that my physicians didn't know. Mm. So that really encouraged me to spend more time reading the basic science uh, and offered more hope that, well, maybe I, I couldn't stop the disease, but I could slow down the decline. Um, so with my extra vitamins and supplements, I felt, certainly felt like I was slowing the speed of my decline down, but I was still declining. In the summer of 2007, uh, I'd ha- my muscles were so weak in my belly and back, I could no longer sit in a regular chair for more than 10 or 15 minutes. I had to be in a zero-gravity recliner with my knees about as high as my nose. Using two walking sticks, you know, I could walk 25, 50 yards. Otherwise, I was in my tilt-reclined wheelchair. Uh, the zero gravity chair or in bed. Um, I was losing my keys, my phone. That summer, I'd lost my. Uh, I'd gone through three phones. Uh, I think two sets of car keys. Uh, I had a detailed uh, notebook as keeping track of what I needed to do, and I knew that I would likely, in the next few months, have to go out on retirement. Uh, and, and that's when I discovered uh, the uh, two big things: neuromuscular stimulation and the. Uh, 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 Functional Medicine uh, Institute, and I took their course, Neuroprotection, a Functional Medicine Approach for Common and Uncommon Neurologic Syndromes. And that, of course, would change everything. Mm. Now, you mentioned that you, you did a lot of reading, and, you know, there's a plethora of information out there, especially on the Internet, and some of them are accurate, some are not. And there are people out there who are sort of desperate looking at other options. Right. Um, yeah, what, what sources of information did you find was very well, helpful? You know, I was using PubMed.gov. And so I was reading uh, the basic science, mouse and animal studies. I was scanning the Internet, and so when people would mention uh, new ideas, I would go over to PubMed and see were there any uh, studies that seemed to validate these claims. And if there were, then I would explore that further. And if there weren't, I would dismiss it. You know, and I'd also look at how risky was the intervention. So if it was a, a very low-risk intervention, I was a little more willing uh, to consider it, the higher the risk, uh, the more solid evidence I needed to see in the science before I would do it. I, I work in rehabilitative and regenerative medicine, and we see quite a bit of patients with neurological impairment, yet nutrition is often not a key thing in their management. So in your reading, what were some of the things you were finding with regards to nutrition and multiple sclerosis? You know, in 2002, when I was still walking around, um, my neurologist had introduced me to the work of Ashton Embry and Dr. Lauren Cordain. And Cordain had written a book, uh, uh, The Paleo Solution, and advocated a paleolithic diet as a way to reduce symptoms for MS. Um, So I I read through that, read through uh, the molecular mimicry, leaky gut, gluten sensitivity conversations, 
uh, and decided after 20 years as a vegetarian uh, that I uh, gradually reintroduced meat back into my diet, took out the gluten, dairy, and legumes, uh, and followed uh, this new you know, vegetables, fruit, meat diet. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell everyone, I still declined. Um, but I, I thought the science and the rationale seemed valid, so I was willing to stay with that diet. Uh, and sadly, you know, my neurologist, my primary care docs, never talked to me about diet, nutrition, never talked about B12, about uh, the omega-3s, about uh, nutrition that brain cells need to thrive. That was left for me to discover uh, based on my own research and then what I learned uh, from the Institute for Functional Medicine. So you started making these changes and you started seeing some improvement, but you felt like you were continuing to progress. Correct. Okay. So it, and, but keep in mind, I was thrilled with slowing my disease down because uh, all of my physicians made it very clear progressive MS is a progressive disease. Uh, and so the, the goal was to slow the, the loss. Uh, and so I felt like, okay, I was doing that as, as good as could be hoped. And I was thrilled with that though, of course, I was still looking at becoming bedridden. Uh, and the uh, biggest fear uh, was that MS pain is a big part of my disease as well. So I'd get episodes of what's similar to trigeminal neuralgia, this horrific electrical pain that was coming more frequently, was more resistant to therapy. Pain clinic was having a hard time getting it stopped. So uh, uh, by the summer of 2007, though I knew I'd likely become bedridden, my fear was that my MS pain would be stuck on permanently on. Uh, and uh, that was actually my, my greatest anxiety. Was there certain things that you felt helped that pain nutritionally? Um, well, you know, after I uh, uh, discovered functional medicine, you know, and had a deeper understanding of the uh, nutritional needs and redesigned my diet, still using paleo principles, but to maximize the key nutrients, what we've observed is that the uh, frequency, intensity of my pain has dramatically decreased. Uh, and now uh, the only things that really seem to trigger the pain is if I've, uh, someone has accidentally introduced gluten into my diet or my meal, and then 48 hours later uh, that pain will turn on, and I'll need a, a burst of steroids to get it turned off. But you know, the last time that happened to me was 18 months ago. Wow. Now, I, one of the things you also mention is supplements, and that can be a little bit controversial, yeah. you know, because some people will say get everything from your from your nutrition. So, first of all, what kind of supplements, and and how how did they help you? Like, what did you feel so, was different? Um, early on, I was discovering uh, creatine, uh, carnitine, lipoic acid, B vitamins um, as support for the mitochondria, and uh, that was quite helpful in slowing the disease progression, did not lead to recovery. Then when I identified the functional medicine folks, I had a longer list, uh, more uh, uh, sulfur-containing amino acids, like taurine, acetylcysteine, uh, a little higher dose in the B vitamins. Again, slows the decline. Uh, it's when I reorganized my diet uh, along what I now call the Walls diet, which is nine cups of vegetables and berries. And, keep, and this is for men or very tall women, and I'm six foot tall, uh, and so it's three cups of green leaves, three cups of uh, sulfur-containing vegetables from the cabbage family, onion family, or mushroom family, 
three cups of deeply colored uh, vegetables and berries, you know, uh, protein according to your appetite, uh, and then completely, utterly excluding gluten, uh, so the gluten-contained grains, wheat, rye, barley, and beer, uh, dairy proteins, and uh, egg. Uh, and when I did that, magic began to happen. Uh, and, you know, in three months, I'm able to walk using one cane between exam rooms and around the hospital. At six months, I'm able to get on my bike for the first time uh, in six years and pedal around the block. And my family and I were all crying because you know, we had assumed that would never uh, be back in my life. And then at nine months, I'm able to do an 18-mile bicycle tour with my family. Again, you know, we're crying at the end, uh, and I realize I'm creating a new future for everybody with MS and progressive MS because now we can say that it is possible, at least for some people, with diet and lifestyle interventions to begin to recover and to begin recover functions that you had thought were lost forever. Uh, And so we've been doing clinical trials and testing this, of course, in others. This is amazing. And what I'm surprised about is you still don't hear a lot of this in the hospital setting. You know, people are still very focused on treating the disease with medications. And you really don't hear too much about dietary changes. So this is this is really an amazing thing. Now, what about exercise? How did this factor in your lifestyle? I know that for some yeah. MS patients, it can it can worsen things. You know, they can get a little overheated, become sure. more fatigued. How did that work for you? So, uh, you know, for me, uh, exercise has always been a part of my life. Uh, I was physically active on the farm when I went off to college. I started running and doing uh, taekwondo. I competed nationally uh, in taekwondo. Uh, and was still running, skiing, biking, very, very active. At the time I was diagnosed, um, I, I knew that physical activity and exercise to keep my muscles as strong uh, and as aerobically fit would maintain my function as long as possible. So every day I got up and I did strength training exercises, uh, at, and I did um, uh, walking on the treadmill, when I could no longer do that, I put in a um, endless pool, which is like a uh, swimmer's treadmill, uh, and so I would swim and lift weights, and I did that every day. You know, finally though, in 2007, my coordination was such that I could no longer swim, so I was doing uh, a simple uh, water aerobics uh, that had been organized by my physical therapist in lifting weights. And you know, I started out with 15-pound dumbbells in the very beginning. And I was down to three-pound dumbbells by the summer of 2007. Uh, you know, three pounds in my left hand and five in my uh, right hand. And I could do about 10 minutes of exercise. If I did 15, I would be so exhausted, I'd have to lay on my back for the rest of the day, and I couldn't go to work. Uh, now, in retrospect, the thing that I should have done more of uh, well, was I didn't stretch as much as I should have, so I have to spend a lot more time stretching now. But exercise is very, very key to maintaining one's strength whatever your health conditions are, for as long as possible. I totally agree. Well, what we will do is we will end part one of our interview today, and we'll come back for part two. In part two, Dr. Terry Walls will talk about her book, The Walls Protocol. We'll also learn 
we learned some of it just now, but a little bit more about this protocol and how she used it to regain her health. And look at how she's actually doing today and talk a little bit more about her clinical research uh, that she's involved with. So make sure you join us for part two next week. Remember, as I often tell you, your health is your wealth. So please do something healthy for yourself. And we will see you again on the broadcast next week to continue this wonderful, inspirational conversation with Dr. Terry Waltz. Take care, everyone. You've been listening to Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. Please join us every other Sunday on Blog Talk Radio at blogtalkradio.com slash Dr. Diane Thompson at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you have missed any part of this broadcast, would like to listen to past shows, or would like our free ebook on stress, please visit www.drdianethompson.com and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Dr. Diane A. Thompson. Remember, your health is your wealth. So do something healthy today.